Hi there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley, a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I talk to a different creative professional every week, and this week, Christmas is coming early for you folks, because I have the delightful Miss Coco Peru, a.k.a. Clinton Loop, as my guest. Um, Coco has been seen in movies like Girls Would Be Girls, Trick, uh, Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. Uh, she also does her amazing one-person shows, like She's Got Balls is a recent one, Miss Coco Peru's Universe. Uh, she hosts Conversations with Coco, a series at the Gay and Lesbian Center where she talks to people like B. Arthur and Jane Fonda. And all in all, Coco is just incredible. Um, before I get to the uh, wonderful interview, though, a little bit of housekeeping. I'm coming up very close on getting 500 likes on Facebook. So if you'd like to put me over the top, and some people probably think I already am over the top. That's stupid. I'm not. That's a dumb joke. Anyway, like me on Facebook. And um, if you want to go to my website, DennisAnyone.net, you will find an audience poll that is so helpful. You will find pictures that go with a lot of the interviews, things we talked about, little bonuses. Uh, You will find a tip jar if you feel like kicking in a little something to help keep this podcast free. And uh, this week, I got a nice little tip from Michael Shane. So, Michael, thank you so much. Anytime I get an email or a like or a tip or anything from out there... I can't tell you how good it makes me feel. It's like, okay, this is, I'm doing something right. People like this. That means a lot. So thank you, Michael, and uh, everyone else who's listening and and, um, pitching in. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at Hensley Dennis and uh, like the show on Facebook. I'm also on Instagram, Dennis C. Hensley. Uh, You can sign up for my fun newsletter on uh, on DennisAnyone.net. Lots of interesting stuff there. So Um, I want to mention also Leslie Jordan's show. He was a previous podcast. I just saw it on uh, Saturday night here in L.A. And if you're in L.A., it's running through December 21st. And go see Fruit Fly with Leslie Jordan. It's a really, really great evening. All right. And now on to Coco Peru. I've listed some of her credits. She's a joy. I love to go to her shows because they feel like church to me. I always... I laugh, but I'm always um, inspired and uplifted, and uh, they're transcendent. And in this podcast, I tell her a story that gets kind of emotional. I don't know. It's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot. Um, And uh, I'm really grateful for Coco for doing the podcast, and I hope you guys enjoy it. All right. Here it is. Hey, guess where I am? In the beautiful home of Miss Coco Peru in L.A.'s glamorous San Fernando Valley. Your home is gorgeous. <laughs> I love my home. I'm very happy with my home. I want you to do a tour where you're like, welcome to my home, and like a Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, because I would love to hear you talk about all the stuff in here. All my things. All your things. But it's not clever. It's No, it's not. It's And it's also, there's like... There's a really fun photograph over this breakfast area of you standing in front of Yucca Market holding a banana. Yes, by Peter Palazzino. What was the story of that photo? I'm actually not standing there. And um, Green screen magic? Yes. Okay. uh, I don't know why I'm holding a banana except that I love props. Yeah. I was trained in the theater, so if there's something laying nearby, I'll pick it up and work with it. (laughs) That's so good. Um, I love it. And I also saw on my way in the Tom of Finland book that you talk about in your most recent show. Yes. Mm-hmm. And in this, in the, we don't need to tell the whole story, but you talk about somebody who comes to your home and he is gravitated toward that book and he reads it and he, and 
he's very curious about it. And now that I see it, it's very thick. It's very thick. You could spend hours. Yeah, that was the joke. He, yeah. He, I said, you sit there for as long as you want. He sat there for a long time. <laughs> yeah. But it's cool. It's 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 a thick book, and that's it was nice to put a book to the story. Well, Tom of Finland's work is 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 worthy of a thick book. It is. Say. I would say so. I would say. Have you been to the Tom of Finland Museum? No. I want to go. I've been to um, here, some of the traveling, right? yeah, uh, you know, shows of his work. But right. I've never been to the museum. Right. I love it. Now, I just saw you perform here in L.A. at Rockwell, mm-hmm. and you did more of a cabaret type setting show where there were different stories from all your shows right but it was it was so wonderful and you said that this is your 24th year in the biz and yeah it's coco as coco Mm -hmm. 24 years does it feel like longer or shorter does it feel like it flew by or was it like i think both depending on how i'm feeling right some days it just feels like it's been forever yeah, and then other times I look at my life and I don't know where the years went. Like yeah. I don't know where my thirties yeah. went. They flew by. It's and crazy. I, and I loved my thirties because, um, well, I'm sure if I went back, I would hate them. You know, because I was something to hate <laughs> right. about your life at the you know different stages. But um, I, I look at pictures of myself in my thirties, and I always looked. I felt like I always looked good in photos. And, right. And, and that's how I remember myself, was in my 30s. And now I'll look in the mirror, and I'm always a little bit shocked yeah. uh, at what the reflection is, is. And my mom says the same thing. that About her life. About her life, that she's in her 80s now. Helen. Helen. And she still thinks that she should look like she's in her 30s, because that's kind of how she feels. So... I think it doesn't quite add up. Yeah, like time is very strange. Sometimes yeah. it flies by, and some some days it just seems like it can't go by fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> now, twenty five is next year. Mm-hmm. Are you planning to do anything? The twenty fifth does it feel? I don't know. Like you need to jump out of a cake or some kind of no show or no. celebration. I'll see how I feel at twenty five. <laughs> but at this point, no. Mm-mm. What's funny is when you were talking about this, you were saying, "Oh, I hate." There's so many things I hate, and you do use that sort of vitriol, but you never occur as a hateful person ever, ever, ever. And yet, you can go there in your work and in your act, and you can tap into it, but it never feels co- like a core thing of you. You know, I. I think that my parents raised me right. Yeah. My mom, you know, she always, growing up in the Bronx, there was always, you know, the Italians, there were the Irish, there were the Jews, you know. And one of the things my mother always said between the Irish and the Italians was the Italians will hold a grudge. Like, right. you do something to them, you're, you're dead to them. Right. Same with the Jews. But, like, her Irish upbringing was like you always had to forgive Right. You always had to find a way to forgive that person. You could be angry, but, yeah. And there's stereotypes. But, you know, there's always a little bit of truth to them. And and my mom taught me that, like, it's not healthy to hold a grudge and, and, you know. You, in the I moment, you can be full you can, of this stuff, but you, you let people off the hook. You have to let people off the hook. Yeah. And know? that's what comes across in your work. And it's, that's what makes it so fun to laugh when you're angry and full of vitriol because there's, because it's not who you are deep down. I right. Like it. It's nice. Um, I remember first seeing you at the... Can I just say one thing about that, though? Yes. I think when I was younger, before I created Coco, yeah. I was very angry and very um, 
bitter and very sarcastic to the point where um, if I hurt somebody, I didn't really care too much. Right. But I think addressing my issues through Coco, I was able to like um, heal that you part. Gave of it myself. a place for I, you to yeah, put it, and I put it out on stage. And um, but also, I just I feel like that was that, that addressing those issues of, of why I needed to get even or whatever it was or control. Um, I, it kind of, not that it's not there, but it, I deal with it in a different way now. Right. You channel it into a way that's yeah. positive and healthy and entertaining and, and then you can leave it there. Yeah. It's great. I always think of going to your shows as kind of like church. Mm-hmm. I always leave spiritually uplifted. I cry. I laugh my head off. But I'm, I, I brought my friend Jeb to see your show for the first time in the spring. And then also my friend Carlos this last week to see it. And I was like, this is what it's like, you know. And I always have, I always um, leave life affirmed. Where That mix of like, this is the kind of experience I want people to have. I mean, you can't always control that. But you must have had like, I want to talk about real stuff. I want to leave people feeling good. Like, what, what I'm, I'm sounding? I like. get it. I get it. I think there's two things. One was that um, early on in the early '90s, when I created Coco, you know, AIDS was so devastating in New York City that um, there was uh, activism. Right, it was very popular, and I wanted to be an activist. So I kind of always felt like that Coco and the spoken word was my way of. Activism. You so had a there mission. Had, there had to be some sort of mission, or there had to be some sort of connection with other people beyond just making them laugh. Right. Right. And then, um, and then I also think. Um, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, uh, this is so corny. Please, this but is a corny. When I was in corny co- safe zone. When I was in college, at that very angry time of right. my life, I went to see Terms of Endearment when right. it was first released. And I, it triggered something in me. Now, I had a sister that passed away when I was three months old. And Shirley MacLaine kind of happens to look a little bit like my mother. Right. And it triggered something in me where I couldn't stop crying. And I literally cried for like the next three or four months. And um, I think that being vulnerable, I realized that there was power in that. That... Being um, able to cry and being vulnerable was okay. And I think Coco, when I created Coco, I discovered that, that I could be vulnerable on stage in ways that I couldn't as Clinton because I was too busy protecting myself. Right. But being dressed as Coco gave me that armor in a way to be able to go there. Right. And tell the truth about that yeah, stuff. And be, and be truthful. Yeah. Um, and I think people responded, especially in the early nineties to that truth, because I was talking about issues and I was a drag queen, first of all, that was talking. Right. And not pretending to be a woman. It was like, I created something different back then. Yeah. And I was going to ask you about that. Your alter ego isn't, is your experiences. It's not, oh, I created this person and she lives here and her husband is this. And it's you, which is a different formula than most other drag performers are there other people that kind of do what you do and did you decide from the beginning that that i'm just going to talk about my life yeah through this um sort of character or, or alter ego yeah i don't i 
I had read a book about Native Americans and the Two-Spirit. Right. So I decided, oh my God, that's what I am. I'm supposed to be both. And me always trying to butch up for these acting, you know, when I was yeah. in the theater program at college and then afterwards trying to audition and butching up, I realized this is not my calling. <laughs> I'm a Two-Spirit. <laughs> I'm supposed to be embracing both aspects of myself. Right. So um, once I did that and I said out loud, I'm going to be a drag queen. And like literally the moment I said it, I felt something shift inside of me. It really felt like a calling. Where were you when you said it? I have two memories. So okay. I don't know which one's true. One was in a jacuzzi in Florida at my parents' <laughs> condo. And you would have said it to I, your parents? No, to the people that were um, sitting there that asked me what I did for a living. Right. And at that time, I wasn't a drag queen, but I said I'm a dra- drag queen. And then the other one was that I, I was on a phone. I was on a phone, and I I have a feeling that the pool happened first, and then later yeah. uh, I discussed it with a friend that this was my idea of yeah. what I was thinking about doing. Yeah. Nice. And I, I think I heard in a recent interview, you said you made a date for a show. Yeah. And I, you were just like, okay, I, I have my, to have a show by exactly. then. Exactly. I gave myself three months to write yeah. a show, create a, a look, yeah. go shopping for boobs and a wig. And I had no idea. I didn't, I didn't know how to do makeup, nothing. Now you're known for the uh, red flip. Mm-hmm. How much thought, did you see that wig and go yes? Or was there a lot of finding the look, the iconic look? How well, much that, went into it? Yeah, that wasn't the original look. Yeah. The original look was sort of a big, um, much larger wig that took a lot of work. And a friend of the family used to do it at his salon, and, and he would do it for free. Right. And every time I would walk into his salon, I could just feel his heart sink, and he'd roll his eyes like, oh, God, she's What did I get again. into? Yeah, what did I get myself into, you know? <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah, it's I just making like, a short film. I was asking so many favors of so many people. You know, I, I did a short film recently, and we finished it. And I had friends helping with this, but you could start to feel when they're over it. Yeah, like exactly. okay, we better pick a font because they're over it. Exactly, or whatever the thing is. It's I know that feeling of like yes. you feel and, it. And Frank was, and you don't want to, and you don't want to be the, you don't want to push it beyond that. No, and so I decided that I needed a look that I could take care of myself. Right. And I am not talented when it comes to makeup and hair. Right. So um, I chose a, a very basic wig with bangs. Yeah. And um, it actually, the flip originally went under. Yeah. And then one day I decided to curl it out. And as soon as I saw that silhouette, I thought, that's it. Also, back then, I was very much into um, silhouettes. Right. That we could create in the theater where I did my show. Right. Um and I just, lighting with lighting, yeah. and I just thought there's something about seeing the shadow of me in that circle of light on that curtain, very long, with just that flip that I loved. And I was a big fan of Klaus Nami. I don't know who that is. He was a singer, okay, in the '80s, and I don't know when he died. He was one of the first public people to die of AIDS. Oh, wow! And he was uh, he would sing these kind of like punk rock songs but with opera and he could sing falsetto it was amazing and and he wore makeup almost looked like an alien he wore these very big um bow ties and all structured and i loved the silhouette of his of him right that was part of the whole turn on for me right and uh I always remembered that when I was creating Coco that I if I could create a silhouette and it's very funny to me now that people send me photos of Coco, like I, on my, now it's like there's a bull, 
uh, an, a, a musk ox that has horns that look like cocoa. There's uh, people find they see your silhouette yeah, in other like things. a fried calamari. Someone right. sent me a fried calamari <laughs> of cocoa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, a, a turd, maybe a turd. Yeah. So and um, so I feel like it's, you succeeded. I succeeded with the, with the silhouette. There's something optimistic about it. There's something hopeful yeah. and spirited about it. It's perfect. All right. I have to tell you a kind of an intense story. Now, when I saw your show in February, maybe at the center, she's yeah. got balls. She's got, got balls, balls, right? I um, I brought my friend Jeb who'd never seen you before and I remember talking to you after stage and then I I told you at the end I said I have a story that I have to tell you so what happened is right up until right before then uh, my older brother had gotten very sick with um, pulmonary hypertension and I was planning to maybe you know it was like okay I think I'm gonna go home and 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 see him we weren't super close but he's my brother and I love him and so I was gonna go home on the Monday after your show um and I got a call on Sunday that he had passed and I was like I don't know what you know what to do and they said to wait and come home for the funeral and and I was like well I'm I'm going to go to the show because first of all, your shows are always poignant and they're, like I said, like they're church to me. And I was like, I'm going to go to the show. And so I went and, um, went with my friend Jeb who'd never seen you and he's a sweet person and we have a very shared similarity and sensibility and he loved it. And I also felt like, um, uh, I also felt like if my brother could see me here in this space that he would know me. Okay. Okay. So after the show was over, great show, loved it. I loved it. I felt like this, you know, when someone, when passes, you feel like they might be around or whatever. Especially I talked about death in that show. Of course. And, um, I was in, um, the center, the village, which is my favorite place to be. Like, and, um, none of my family have ever come out here to see where I live or what I do. And um, that's very much my heart of the city. Okay, so afterwards we're talking about the show or whatever. I think I have a quick moment with you. We're talking, and Eddie Shapiro is there also. Mm -hmm. And I tell Eddie and Jeb about my brother, that he had passed that day, and they felt very bad, and they were very sweet about it. And I said, but I felt like this was a good place to be. I feel connected to, you know, something bigger, and it's, it's better than sitting at home and, you know, whatever. And so then I came up to say goodbye to you, and you told me a story that you'd never told me before. I don't know if you remember this. About your brother. A different, a, another brother. Right. You, t- you told me the story that when we were, one of the first times that we sort of collaborated was on this benefit for Quest for the Crown. Right. And um, I paired you up with Evie Harris, Jack Plotnick. You guys had never worked together before. And um, you told me a story that... I don't know. Do you remember what you told me? Mm-hmm. Do you want to share it or should I just keep telling it? Well, you paired me up with Jack Plotnick. Right. And, uh, this was in 2000. Right. we started rehearsing together and, um, I had been a solo performer for years by then and, right. and wasn't used to working with other actors. And Jack is a very special person, right. as you know, and he, um, 
I say this with love, but he would like come over to my house and just like start touching things and, and drop things. And I thought, oh dear, he's going to break that. And I'm very fussy about my things. And, right. And Jack's energy is kind of all over the place. Whereas I sort of get very withdrawn, you know, very inward stuff. So we were complete opposites. And then he started saying, don't say your line like that. Say it like this. And I thought, Jesus, now, now he's giving me line readings. And it was so unnerving to me that I called you to quit. You were going to quit. I never knew this story, ever. And I... You were going to call me, you called me and you were going to quit. Yes. And you picked up the phone and I said, hi, Dennis, how are you? And you proceeded to tell me a story about, I guess it was another brother of My, yours. The, the older brother. Yes. Um, a very... Yeah. Some... It was a very... He passed away. He had... Yes. And so it was, it was in sad. 2000 when my oldest brother passed away. Exactly. And I, of course, thought, well, now I can't quit. He's telling me this, you know, this sad story about his brother. So I, I said, well, I, I just called to say hello and hung up. And I thought, well, I guess I'm stuck doing this benefit. But thank God for me that I did that benefit because it led to um, a very successful, not only quest for the crown, where Jack and I pulled it off. Um, it led to everyone coming backstage, uh, celebrities and whatnot, saying, you two have got to be on TV. Yeah. And it led to Girls Will Be Girls, so, um, which has been wonderful for me and, and my career. So I, was, I never forgot that because so much of my life, Dennis, and maybe you can relate to this, is that um, many of the things I wanted to say no to or wanted to run away from were actually the things that moved me forward. Right. So I've learned... You don't know. You don't know. And I've, I think about all the things I said no to. I think, oh shit, you know, maybe that would have been the... Uh, led me to something wonderful. But I also think of all the things that I said yes to. And I, I try to say yes to everything nowadays. Yeah. Well, you just don't know. But you also don't know which ones are going to be the nightmares. Right. And then you're like, oh, this is one of those. Yeah, and I've had those moments. Of course. So and I knew it. Way I knew more. it. And I'm kicking myself. I knew it. You and know? there's probably way more of those than the ones that open the doors. But... But anyway, the, what are the odds that you would tell me that story on that night? That was 14 years ago. Yeah. That you would tell me that. And yeah. I felt like that was some kind of gift or some kind of um, connection. Because Jeb and Eddie were standing right there when you told that story. Uh-huh. How interesting. And they were like, I was like, you saw that. You heard that, right? I don't know. It gave me comfort. It made me feel like my world here and my family are connected in a way that... They never really seemed connected, and I don't know. It was beautiful. And yeah, but I don't know and why I, you never... I also, t- and you also kind of told me that story randomly. You were like, oh, Michael and I were just talking about this. Yeah. Because we didn't sit there and have a 20-minute conversation, and it came up. You right. sort of told me that, and then I, I, then I freaked out, and I left. Oh, I love magical moments like that. Isn't that nuts? Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. And I'm sorry about... Thank you very brother. much. I appreciate Two it. Two brothers, that's that's a huge it's, loss for you and your parents. It's, yeah, so thank you for that moment. And anyway, there you go. But um, what the first time I saw you, I think, was doing Miss Coco's Universe, mm-hmm. like on Beverly Drive in uh, Beverly yeah, Hills. Robertson Boulevard. Robertson Boulevard. I went back m- multiple times. It was the Beverly Hills Playhouse. Yes. And, who, and, and, and Jeffrey Tambor. He taught a, an acting class there. Really? Did you see him? Well, we would see each other all would the time. Would you overlap? We would overlap. And he was always very nice and very uh, normal and, 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 and just seemed like 
so regular. And But the thing that drove me crazy was that there was always wax on the stage. So I thought, how many scenes do your actors do where they need candles? Right. Uh, yeah. And and what about respecting the, the theater? You know, scrape the fucking wax. So there I would be dressed as Coco, scraping the stage before my show, getting the wax off the stage. So I always remember Jeffrey Tambor, and, and I thought, what kind of class does he teach that there's always candles? <laughs> <laughs> and now have you seen Transparent? No, not He's yet. so good. I, I love him. I think he He's great. so good. Now, um, your husband, Rafael, is from Spain. Right. And you spend how many months a year there? One? You go um, in the summer. Anywhere between one and a half. Well, you, one and a half is usually it. It. There's been times, there was one year we spent uh, four months there because he had a sabbatical. So it depends on the year and, and the timing of work and whatnot. Whenever I hear you're, oh, I'm, I'm going to be in Spain for that. I'm always a little envious and I always think, that must be wonderful. What does it give you to go away to somewhere like that and get a different perspective on, I don't know. America, life, work, Hollywood, it and is. then come it's, back. It's a total check out from my day-to-day reality here. The biggest thing that I noticed is, is that um, w- when I first get there, I have withdrawal from the internet. Yeah. Because we don't have internet in our in the place. There. Oh, so you're really off the grid. Well, we can go down to the clubhouse right. and, and get it. But for years we couldn't. We actually would have to go t- into town. Yeah, so it was a big deal. Yeah, so um, there, w- there was that withdrawal. And then I noticed that so much of what I get every day and all that, none of it really matters. I mean, right. the notes from the fans and all that, I love. And I, I don't take the, any of that for granted. But I'm talking about the really important deals. Yeah, whatever, you need to take action. You need to, you need to, to call action. this person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's so random for me that yeah. I thought, boy, I, I waste more time on that computer than... Yeah. And... But so there's that. And also, I don't understand the, the language. I mean, I can get by, but the news, you know, they talk so fast, like the news here, they yeah. ramble it off. So it's impossible for me to understand a lot of it. So um, I don't I don't get fed the news every day. Right. And there's just something about not hearing all that bad news that is kind of wonderful. Right. It's a total And I take check walks, out. you know, every day down to the beach and I'm on the beach every day. What part of Spain are you in? Is in there a town? In South Spain. Mm-hmm. Is the, what's the nearest sort of town? Or Almeria nice. would be the um, closest city. Were there huge, big events that you just kind of totally missed? Certain celebrities dying or... Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'd come back and people are talking about movies and yeah. I'd be like, oh, did that ever get really... Or people dying. Yeah. Like a Phyllis Diller. Yeah died while I was away. Yeah. I was... What? Yeah. You come back and you're like, yeah. holy shit. Yeah. But it must be great. It must be a great thing. Do you look forward to it? Every year. Every year. year. You're like, I'm ready for this. Well, I... I every year I torture myself because I hate leaving my house. Yeah. Um, and every year I go, why do I... I'm doing it again. I'm, I'm torturing myself. You hate leaving your house think, here? Or yeah. you hate leaving... Okay. Here. And then I get over there and... Uh, basically forget about the house here and I hate leaving there. So, but I, every year I, I literally torture myself, uh, before I, it's I, time, before it's time. I get very connected to like objects. It's very strange to your stuff here. Yeah. Do you have favorites or just the no, idea of them just, in general? Yeah. I just, in fact, last night I dreamt about, I used to have a favorite blanket that I yeah. had 
like until I was like 20 yeah. and my mother tossed it in the garbage and said, you know, grow up. Yeah. But I, <laughs> I loved my blanket. Yeah. It wasn't that I needed it. Yeah. It was just that it had such sentimental value. For me. I love when you tell stories about your mother, Helen, in your show and it, you, you want her to write a book like Helen's guide to life because she has good advice. Um, has she seen your shows? Does she come? Oh, yeah. And in fact, I just did, um, Palm beach, Florida. Yeah. I did like a little Florida tour and she came. Um, and you know, there's things in that show that I'm just so embarrassed to say in front of my mother, but, um, in the most recent show. Yeah. yeah. But she, uh, she doesn't, um, judge me or if she does, she keeps it to herself. All she says is how proud she is of me. And, uh, people come up to her and thank her. Uh, so I think she That really, must be really... Yeah, she really enjoys poignant. it. Mm-hmm. What does she think when you do her? Or when you talk about, tell stories about her? Does she ever say, that's not how it happened. I actually said this, or you're forgetting that. Well, yes, she has done that. Or she'll... Um, she has denied saying certain things. But <laughs> she usually does that in front of people at the show because yeah. she's just embarrassed. And then I call her on it later, like, Ma, you can't say that because, like... It is true first. Because I know, I know. It's just that, like, why do people have to know that? Or, you know, she was really horrified that I talked about my father being an alcoholic. And, you know, I explained to her, I said, Mom, most of the people that come see my shows are either in the program or know people in the program or have parents in the program. It's not that big of a deal. Right. They relate to it. Yeah. They've been there. They're not judging us. They're actually, like... It's bringing you closer. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. But she's from a different generation. Sure. Yeah. Now, with some of the newer technology... In fact, I'll tell you one time, yeah. uh, we were sitting by the pool. Oh, there's my phone. We were sitting by the pool at her place. Right. And I and uh, this woman comes up when we start talking. And I asked this woman, like you, a million questions. Right. And my she walks away. My mother looks at me. She goes, Jesus Christ. I learned more about that woman in the last 20 minutes than in the 20 years I've lived next door to her. But it's my nature to, like, get in there. I want to know Me too. about people. I do, too. I'm curious about their stories. Me, too. And everyone's got one. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I was on a trip recently, and we were staying at this hotel, and I was with my friend Scott, and I was the, there were these strangers in the hot tub, and then I was kind of the last one to come in. And then, of course, I started talking to people, and he said, up until then, nobody was saying anything. And he was like, he was like I'm so glad you broke the ice. And I was like... What did I do? I don't even yeah. remember what I said or how it started, yeah. but it... Well, we had friends... Like I said, in Spain, I'm kind of a different person because um, I don't talk a lot over there. Yeah. Um, whereas here, I'm the one that, you know, my husband's the very quiet one. And over yeah. there, he's the talker. Right. We, we, like, switch roles. It's fun. And um, But we had friends come visit us this past summer from Spain. And um, I love them so much, Sergio and Terry. And... They couldn't get over. They looked at me and said, you, you talk to everybody? <laughs> <laughs> like when you go to a store? When I'm you go to stores, yeah. I just yeah. pass people on the street and I just start talking to them. Do you get recognized often out of drag? No, every now and then. In fact, it happened the other day. I went shopping for eyeglasses. Yeah. And the doctor uh, came out and he was kind of helping me with glasses. and Right. And then... Uh, I thanked him and he was sitting there and I, he was sort of lingering. Right. And finally he just said, I'm sorry, I just have to say this. I'm a big fan. I yeah, love I that. I was so flattered. But he recognized my the voice. The voice and then he could probably look at the eyes and tell. Yeah. I love that. When when fans contact you, what 
trick for a while, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Girls will be girls. Some of these uh, the, the more online videos you've been doing lately. Are there certain things that people bring up again and again? Yeah. Um, for trick, it's always, you know, it burns or, yeah. you know, and then um, people always say, you must be so sick and tired of hearing that. And I tell them, no, never. I mean, why would I get yeah. sick and tired of hearing a compliment? Yeah. And girls will be girls. People always quote lines, but they're always Evie's lines, which I have to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah, that was, I, yeah, that yeah, that was, was funny. my line. But anyway, I appreciate it. And then um, with the YouTube videos, of course, now um, people are sending me pictures of Panatoni now that they see them out because yes. it's the season. And You're I, obsessed with them. Yeah. yeah. Well, I used to give them every year to my neighbors. Yeah. And uh, last year I gave uh, chocolate covered macadamia nuts. That's nice. Yeah. It's a good thing. Yeah. When I think of Girls Will Be Girls, I remember your love interest is Eric Stone Street. Uh, who's big and famous now. Who's big and famous now, but in a completely different role. Right. Like, he was such a dick in Girls Will Be Girls. He was so... Horrible. Yeah. And, of a character. And, you know, he was very uncomfortable that first day at shooting. He was freaking out that I think he, he arrived thinking, what the hell have I got? I should have right. said no. Right. You know? <laughs> it was one of those moments. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, and his first day he had to fuck Evie <laughs> and make out with me. And, uh, he actually was so uncomfortable kissing me and asked for a round of applause afterwards. Cause it was the first time he'd ever kissed a man. And, how did I was, that, I was that a little was, bit insulted. I'm a, I'm a little bit like, that's okay. Yeah, I was a little bit insulted, but I, I, he was so sweet in every other way. And he yeah. was so, and then he, uh, and then, I mean, and then he got what we were doing and yeah. he completely uh, dove right in and was a part of it. And I, I, I just think he's a great actor and he, he was really always very sweet. And anytime I've seen him since then, he's been sweet. So, so. I'm, I'm happy he, he, you know, you're always happy when people make it and i'm using quotes yeah um who are the nice ones yeah it's good it's heartening who's been your most surprising fan somebody that you wouldn't expect (gasps) who's been my most surprising fan i don't know has anyone come to your shows and then you met them afterwards you're like oh wow i know who you are oh yeah i've had people come see me that i that you that you didn't know in advance were there and stuff Yeah, yeah yeah um my friends bought alice and janney Love, I love her. Know, I'm a fan of hers. She's amazing. Yeah, and she, she would be good for conversations with Coco. And that's in the works right yes, now. She'd be amazing. And, you know, she, she enjoyed the show, which was yeah. a thrill. It's always, you know, I remember one time years ago when um, Brenda Bleffin, do you remember her? Yeah, from she Secrets and Lies, I think. Yeah. It's just a, always, I remember yeah. many years ago, Taylor Dane. Taylor Dane, tell it to my show? heart. Exactly. You know, showed yes. up at my show randomly. And That's then, so uh, cool. Melissa Etheridge came years ago in New York. I love it. It's just funny. Different different people. People come. Yeah. B. Arthur uh, was brought to my show. Is that uh, how you and first that's met? That's how I first met her. And then we, we reconnected. Because, well, we kind of connected over that. And then we got closer because um, her lighting person, a tech guy, was this, was a good friend of mine who who was my first tech person. Nice. Uh, actually, my second tech person. You do this series of interviews called Conversations with Coco. That really started all because of you. We Ooh, did I just that. The no, it's Sorry. fine. We did we did one together that was like a trial thing where I interviewed you. Yeah, and I I think I have it on video, but oh, I remember dear. it being great, and I remember. Um, it was like there was so much stuff to talk about. Like it was long. I remember that. Like because <laughs> I'm indulgent. No, but because it was interesting. I think yeah. it was great. It was fun. Um, but you've had Jane Fonda, Liza Minnelli, 
um, Lainey Kazan, Lily Tomlin. When you when you hear Karen Black, Karen Black, when they when it comes together and it's going to be so and so, is there a moment of like holy shit? Yeah. Is there a Jane Fonda? Do you have to? Do you like? Oh fuck! I better Jane Fonda. Do my homework. Yeah, I think Jane Fonda freaked me out the most because with everybody else, they granted me uh, a visit before the actual event, so we could connect. Right. Jane was not interested in doing that. Yeah. And then um, what she did do for me was uh, we we had a phone call. And it was me just reading her everything that I planned on talking about beforehand right. so she could kind of approve. And, right. Or it was more just to make her feel comfortable that there, were, right. there weren't going to be any huge surprises. And right. if they happened, they would be on her terms and they would yeah. be organic. Right. And she... Um, she was very professional on the phone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I look forward to meeting you. And then she arrived, and it was more of that same energy. And I thought, oh, dear God. So we were backstage, and um, I thought, I have 10 minutes, literally, to connect with this woman. And uh, she looked at me, and she said, well, I, I have to tell you, I don't know if I'm going to be very funny tonight. I have a hangover. And I pointed out where the audience would be sitting, and I said, well, don't tell me. Tell them. <laughs> and she realized... Oh, okay. We're going to have fun. Yeah. And, um, and she was great. She was amazing. That was an amazing night. And like we completely connected. Yeah. Yeah. It's about making people feel safe. I think that is. And, um, it always takes like the first 10 minutes. Yeah. There's this awkwardness and then everyone in the audience just feels the moment where they realize I'm surrounded by 200 homosexuals. Yeah. I really have nothing to worry about. Right. I'm good. I'm They're all here to love me. Yeah. You know. Um, who's coming up next? Do you have any anything? I think it's Alice and Janney. That would be amazing. Our people gave me a date, but we're not allowed to announce it yet That's until so... she's sure that her um, schedule is Sure. Clear. She's And great. that happened I've interviewed her. She's I think amazing. her neighbors are old friends. Her neighbor is an old friend of mine and his boyfriend, they brought her to my show. Right. And they just, I was sort of saying, wouldn't it be great if I could get Alice and Janie? And then he wrote to me out of the blue and said, do you think you'd ever want to do a conversation with Allison? Because I think he thought it would be a great idea. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Magic. Yeah. It's great. Who was the first you did? Lily Tomlin? No, B. Arthur. B. Arthur. And you became friendly with her. she didn't want her. to do it. She didn't want to do it? No, she didn't. Did you have to beg her? Because you already knew her, right? I, I did beg her, and, and she she agreed to do it, and then she would call me and leave me messages like, um, I better not fucking regret this. <laughs> Click. <laughs> did you say Why the fuck me? are you doing this to me? Click. <laughs> <laughs> did you save any of those messages? No, They're didn't. kind of amazing. I know. I didn't save them. Yeah. But anyway, her good friend, who's my friend, Billy Goldenberg, her musical director, uh, because I was so nervous, he said, just remember, Clinton, she said no to Larry King. She said yes to Coco Peru. So oh, that's great. That. Yeah. And then you ended up speaking at her memorial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was somebody there in the audience. I just, I don't remember who it was. Who didn't know who you were or couldn't give a shit. There was somebody bitchy in the audience when you tell the story. Or you were sitting next to somebody. Oh, no, no. Yeah, I was sitting next to someone who who was um, a little out of control. (laughs) Yes. but It's uh, one of my stories in my show. It's a great story. And when you think of B. Arthur, what... What stays with you about her? Or is there something that, like, you try to be like B in a certain situation? Or 
Well, I feel like I've been trying to be like be my whole life. Yeah. I was just actually having this conversation with a close friend yesterday who said to me, uh, he saw the show the past week. He said there were so many moments because he watches Golden Girls religiously. And he said, well, you really are like channeling B. And I said, it's funny because I don't consciously, I've never set out to do that really. Right. But when I was very little, my parents had um, comedy albums. and Right. Uh, one of them was an album called The Jewish American Princess. Right. And we're not Jewish, by the way, and a lot of people think we are. Right. I think I am. Right. Just because of the New York accent. And there's a sensibility, I think. Right. But, um, so we had this album called Jewish American Princess in which B. Arthur played the mother. And I loved her voice and her comic timing. And I'm talking, I was really young. Right. And then I put it together that this woman I was obsessed with was the same voice I was obsessed with on the soundtrack of Fiddler on the Roof. Right. And then, of course, Maud came along and right. whatnot. All the rest of it. Yeah. That's but so cool. I was actually addicted to her voice before I knew what she looked like. That's wild. Except for the like little picture that they put yeah. of her on the back. When when are those moments where you end up pinching yourself? Like you talk about flying in a helicopter with Liza Minnelli, or I can't believe I'm here. Yeah, I, I I find that, and you might relate to this. Like sometimes my work has taken me into really neat places like that, and then it goes away, and you're back home and you're struggling for months. But every once in a while, you get one of those moments. moments. It's not your lifestyle, no, but it happens sometimes. Yeah, and you know I, this hasn't been a great year for work for me, but. I ended up getting to go uh, put up the show on a princess cruise in Italy. And then I toured around Budapest and Prague and Dubai. And I was doing some travel writing for free, of course. But I, I would get a hotel here or there. And I thought, well, I don't know what my career is, but my writing has granted me this. I'm here because of that thing right. that I do. That's why I'm here in this amazing place in yeah. this moment. Yeah. And the summer's probably going to be a shit show when I get back home. You know, it's not your life all the time, but sometimes there's moments where you're like, this is extraordinary. I always have to keep things in perspective, Dennis. Why? What's the are, point of that? Because, well, there were many times <laughs> when I, I am sitting here thinking, oh, dear God, my life, you know, or whatever. <laughs> why did I pick this? Why? Why, did why I didn't I? Yeah, my why, you know all those people that come to talk to you when you're in art school saying, if you could do anything else, yeah, do it? Yeah. Why didn't I listen to those yeah, people? Yeah. It's like, I sometimes I envy people with the nine to five jobs. Yeah. But um, I do, I do count my blessings. And I, I think back to when I would lay on my couch or in my bed. Yeah. Closeted terrified that my life, there was no future. I couldn't... There was nowhere for you to be. There was nowhere for me to be. I saw nothing. No um, boyfriend. I mean, no sex. I, I, I saw nothing for myself. No no being in, in, in um, the theater. I couldn't imagine it. anything happening for me. So when I do have these moments, I think, wow, I mean, I think back to when I was little, that if I had known, you know, it would have made it a little bit easier. Right. And then I try to remember that going into the future, that there's things that are wonderful things that are going to happen. Yeah. That are still yet to unfold. Yeah. When I think about Joan Rivers, uh, I think about that quote that she said kind of recently is like, somebody asked her, I'm paraphrasing, how you get through the hard times and she was like, because there's, there's always something wonderful right around the corner. Right. And I, I think about that a lot. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of the thing that stayed with me the most about, about her. 
where's the most random gig you've ended up playing? Like you can't, like maybe they shouldn't have booked me. How did I end up here playing for these people? Or have you ever ended up in a weird situation where it was like, oh, this is not a Coco crowd or. I think the weirdest gig I ever did was a nudist colony here in California. It was gay. Love it. And I happen to love being nude myself. Great. So I, um, I thought this is going to be great. These yeah. are gays, they're naked. This is going to be a hoot. <laughs> Worst audience ever. <laughs> I, Why I, were they I, so bad? They, they, just were... they wouldn't laugh at anything. <laughs> they, were they uptight? <laughs> they were uptight. I don't know what it was. I just, I couldn't believe, I almost felt like they resented me because not only was I wearing clothes, but I was wearing, you know, costumes and yeah. I don't know. I just, all that material, yeah, all that too much fabric. <laughs> they couldn't have, it was a part yeah. in their eyes. Yeah. I didn't get it. But then the weird thing was that afterwards they did come up and say lovely things. So you can never tell. You can never tell. And then another time in San Francisco, I did a, I did a, um, I did a show on Easter Sunday, which I was like, why? I was doing a five-week run, but they they kept the show on Easter Sunday. Right. All right. And six people showed up. Mm. It was was lovely. Yeah. You never know. And then last year I did Puerto Vallarta. And, you know, Puerto Vallarta is a weird town. They have to discover, they have to find out that you're there. Yeah. And then once word gets out. So... You know, I had a sold out show. They were like, from here on in, it's, it's, you're going to be sold out or you're yeah. pretty full. Don't worry. But so the next night after being sold out, I showed up. I said, how many tickets are sold? 12. No, six. It was, again, it was six. Shit. And then it ended up being 20 people. Yeah. And they said, listen, if you want to cancel, we'll cancel. And I hate canceling shows because there are 20 yeah. people that wanted to see me. So I did it. And afterwards, this young teenage girl came up to me. And said, I loved your show. I had my parents bring me all the way from Canada. To see your to show? To see my show. In Puerto Vallarta? In Puerto Vallarta. Like, they made, a, they made a vacation out of it. Oh, my God. And I thought, thank God I didn't cancel. Yeah. yeah. So, I've had, you know, those weird moments that sometimes turn out to be yeah. pleasant. You've got to zen it out. Yeah. Um, well, let me see what else I have on my list. Do you, have you ever been offered things to do as Coco that aren't fits? That's like, no, that's bad for my brand. It's not, Coco would never say that or do that. Have they, have people ever tried to slot you into something where you couldn't reconcile what you were asked to do with who you are and that persona? Yeah, there's been a few times when I've tried things, um, most like maybe a year or two ago, I, I did this online interview thing where I was interviewing like cute boys. Yeah. I think it was called steam room stories and it's yeah. still out there, but, um, it just didn't work. Right. You know, and, um, it, it was not enough time. There was a delay in the question and answer. So we were talking about it and I just thought this is never, this isn't for me. Yeah. But everybody was so sweet and lovely. Yeah. It wasn't it just, about that. It wasn't, it just wasn't the right just, fit. Yeah. yeah. Didn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you feel like you have a mission? Do you feel like you have like a message or something that you try to say, or is it just more? Well, I say that in my show that, you know, it's my mission and I'm on a quest and all these terms that I use. And I guess early on I was. Yeah. And I think, um, it sounds pretentious to, to say that you have a mission. Yeah. But, um, I do believe that 
I try to have, I, I try to have something to say. I try to uplift not only myself, but my audience. Right. And, um, certainly I think people take that away from my shows. For sure. You, you certainly have. Jeff. I certainly have. I cried. I cried right here on this podcast. Um, and you've been doing some fun stuff on YouTube lately. I love the, the clip where you play the video game. Is it like Grand Theft Auto? Yeah. What, how did that come about? And was it all just one take and you improvising? It was... Um, as you're talking about... Well, this guy Garrett Watts, he's a young guy, and he worked on Girls Will Be Girls too, and right. we all became sort of friends. And, you know, I think it's important as you grow older to just sort of have some young people in your life, and he's right. one of them. And he can You know... I wanted to do, I think we did a couple of videos and then I said, I wanted to do the tension chamber one and he sort of didn't get it. Right. And I said, yeah, there's just something funny about celestial seasonings, tension chamber chin. Yeah. Just saying it to me is funny. So we did that one and it, it, it went viral. And then, um, he, he had this idea of me playing grand theft auto because that is so foreign to me. And he just, he was tickled at the thought of this older drag queen doing something that he plays. Right. I love it. So um, that's what I did, and it just—I so was horrified funny. by the the whole. So, but experience. was it just improvising? Yeah, it you was just, just me you... sitting in front of it, and re- and him just capturing my reactions yeah. to this hideous game that I had no idea how to play. <laughs> and you're like, oh, she's. It was so funny. Were you surprised at the reaction to it, or totally? Because, because um, when we finished filming, and I, I said oh, that wasn't very funny i i'll be surprised if you'll actually get anything out of that and then he ended up putting together an 11 minute video yeah and i said that's too long nobody has that attention span anymore but we he just said well we'll just put it out there he said for the gamers out there they'll they'll watch it because they're they're so um fans of games that they'll they sit for a long time playing them so they're used to that they'll they're used to it and oh there's my phone how embarrassing oh so he said uh you know, let's just put it out there. And, yeah. And then that went viral. Yeah. And huge. it went viral with the gamers, which shocked me. I had all these yeah. straight guys writing to me, you know, That's make more so games. Crazy. Yeah. Are you going to? I'd love to. You should. I want to do something. Can, let me yeah, let me pause this. That. Yeah. All right, we're back. Sorry about that. No Dennis. worries. I love that it's life. Okay, you pick some random questions from the observation deck. Let's pick a couple of these. You pick. Um, how about, um, I like I like this idea. Okay, so you asked, who's the most famous person you've ever been in an elevator with? Yes. And I'm going to tell a story that this is a name that most people wouldn't know. Right. There was a very famous cabaret singer by the name of Julie Wilson. Okay. And back in the 90s, yeah. uh, she seemed old to me. Right. You know? And she was very glamorous and, and would always wear a big flower on the side of her head and um, very, very thin. And... I had been invited to see Liza Minnelli and Charles Aznavour's show. They did a show together at Carnegie Hall. Wow. And, yes. And afterwards, there was a party at the um, at some hotel or something, and the, the, the penthouse was where the party was. I ended up on the elevator with Julie Wilson, me, and my friends, and Julie Wilson's date. So there's four of us in the elevator. Elevator stops, doors open, and we're stuck between two floors. Oh, my God. Heading to Liza's house. Yeah. So what's the one thing you're not supposed to do when that happens is climb out. Yeah. Well, I have a touch of the claustrophobia. And I said, (laughs) uh, I'm not staying in here. (laughs) (laughs) And Julie Wilson said, 
I'm not. I'm, me either. Yeah. So um, her friend climbed out first. Holy shit. And then my friends got down on his hands and knees. Julie Wilson hikes her gown up to her butt so she could, you know, climb up onto so when my you're climbing, friend's back. But when you're climbing out, you're climbing into an well, open floor way, like yeah, a hallway. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, my brother was a cop in New York City and that ha- that happens, you know, he, and the elevator will suddenly start to move again and you get crushed between two floors. Yeah. So, uh, Julie Wilson's next... And she, uh, this is like the end of the Poseidon adventure. Exactly. It was, oh my God. She climbs up on my friend's back and her friend is up there pulling her arms. And I'm literally holding Julie Wilson's bony butt in my hands, (laughs) pushing her up and out of this elevator. But it was one of those moments. I was very young and I knew of Julie Wilson as this very famous skipper. And there I was, you know, having this moment, hoisting her out of this elevator. Then I think I went next and then I pulled my friend out. Um, and to this day, that kind of haunts me because I, I realized I, we could have died right then and there, one of us. So when you got up to the party, did you tell people what had happened or was it- I think I did, but, yeah. oh, you know, what's funny. Not that I'm dropping names, but you know that I, I, I'm friendly with Liza Minnelli. So yeah. I, I, she's out here now and I called her and uh, she's, I said, what are you doing? She said, oh, I'm sitting here with Ben Vereen. <laughs> yeah. You know, All right. You're just sitting there with Ben Vereen. Sure. I, I said, oh, that's lovely. I said, you know, Liza, the last time, the only time I ever met Ben was at your party for, when you did the show with Charles Ezra, which happened yeah. to be the same night as this elevator incident. And Liza says, hold on a minute. And I thought, oh, dear God, I hope she's not putting me on the phone with Ben Vereen. <laughs> and sure enough, hello. <laughs> I end up talking with Ben Vereen for about three minutes on the phone. He was so sweet. And uh, literally two days later, I'm at the Sherman Oaks Mall here. Right. You know, the fashion, whatever it's sure. called. And uh, I'm in Macy's. I turn around. Who's standing there, Ben Vereen? I went, Ben? He, of course, doesn't recognize me. Of course. I said, I'm the one that lies a put you on the phone with inappropriately the other night. And uh, oh, he gave me a big hug. He was so sweet. And he said, look what you've manifested. I'm telling you, there's st- stuff around you. Yeah. That's beautiful. But isn't that wild? Look at what you manifested. Yeah. That's amazing. That's and can so I, wild. Can I push it one yes. step further? I, I, I'm, I'm waiting for... A... No, because people think I make this shit up. I right. got in my car. I put on the Broadway station on Sirius. Ben <laughs> Vereen singing... Uh, do not define gravity. I didn't even know Ben sang that song. <laughs> he did. And he sings it very, very well. That's right. Maybe, maybe, what if you went and Googled it and that doesn't exist? You just heard it magically. <laughs> I'd be very worried. That's X Files. I'd realize, boy, I am full of shit. <laughs> there it is. Okay. What if I like this question? Oh, tell us about when you saw your first dirty magazine. Um, I have two memories. <laughs> of what I have three memories I don't know which one again came first um, one no two memories one was um, my friends in grammar school the few friends that I had there was this one boy who turned out to be gay later on uh, he hid dirty pictures under rocks in a lot <laughs> It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Kids today with the internet don't understand how much, how far people were burying it stuff. Was, so it wasn't even the magazines. It, it was, was one it shot. Was pictures that he had cut out of like cocks. 
and naked men and hid them under rocks. So they were all men. Yes. And um, <laughs> it was so bizarre. So you're and he was up rocks. Very, he was very tough. Um, yeah. He knew how to fight. So when people picked on him, he kicked the shit out of them. Right. He just went crazy. <laughs> so people were afraid of him. Uh, he, he wasn't made fun of as much as me, but he 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 had pictures of uh, of naked men hidden under rocks. Isn't that funny? It's so random. I know. And then another time, I this is very very bizarre, and I've never shared this with my mother. She brought in a dirty magazine into the house, and she said to me, "I found this in the yard, and uh, you 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 were." Um, you hid this in the yard, didn't you? And I said, no, and whatnot. And I really believe on some level, my mother was just testing me because she was so, it was a, it was, a, it was naked women. Right. Magazine. And I think my mom was testing. She may have found it in the, right. Outside in the gutter or in a, yeah. you know, who knows where. But, um, I think she brought it into the house hoping. It would get a rise out of you. Yes. That it would, uh, oh. I'd somehow get my hands on it. <laughs> I had no interest. It went in the garbage and that's where it stayed. That's so funny. Um, this is a good one. What's the worst thing that's ever gone wrong for you on stage? Oh, there's been so many things. The worst thing that I'm mortified about yeah. is years ago, I... Uh, I've never shaved my legs because one of the things is that when I'm a man, I, I, I want to embrace that part of myself. Right. So I've always worn tights. Right. And a pair of stockings. Right. And I happened to be doing the show and the skirt I was wearing was very, very short. Right. And I hadn't put on something to hold the stockings up. And during the show, they started to slide down. <laughs> I didn't think anyone noticed. Right. And my straight brother happened to be there night, that night. And he said to me after the show, and by the way, you, you had low crotch. <laughs> I think that might be the title of this podcast. And by the way, you had low, low crotch. crotch. Low I, crotch. You know exactly was, what that is. I knew exactly. I went, oh my God, you could see it. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, I, I well, I'm not going to. That's not that bad, though, considering how many things could go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Low yeah. crotch. All right. That happens. I think another time I hadn't um, put things away where Properly. they needed to be. Yeah. Okay. And that may have happened as well. I'm wow. Sure. There were a couple of queens laughing in the front row, and I said, I'm sure I didn't put it away properly. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you get distracted, yeah. I guess. All right. You learn as you, you get learn. older. It's very young. All right, let's do one more of these. Um, have you ever been starstruck? You meet, you've met a lot of neat people. I have been starstruck, but it's. I've, I talked about this the other night. It's always with people that affected my childhood. Right. Um, I've been at parties where there had. I followed Ben Affleck into the men's room one night. Yeah. I, you know, stood next to uh, Brad Pitt. When he was dating, uh, what's her name from Friends? Anastasia. Who I couldn't get over how beautiful she was. I couldn't get over how tall he was. But I wasn't starstruck. I didn't feel like I needed to meet them. Right. But I went to see Charles Nelson Riley's one person show and Joyce Belafonte, whatever her name, Belafonte, or whatever her name Joyce was. Joyce Belafonte. The Belafonte, blonde, right, the blonde, blonde with like the Dorothy Hamill wedge. Exactly. She was sitting in front of me with the same Dorothy Hamill wedge. Yeah. And I was beside myself. <laughs> 
<laughs> Did you talk to her? No, and I regret not talking to her because I'm sure it would have meant something to her. Yeah. I, I mean, at least I hope it would. But I was that starstruck. I couldn't say anything to her. What do you remember her from? Like game shows? And- Match game. Yes. And That's th- it. But like, was she an actress and things? She, she must was, have been. She was on, uh, I think she was on The Odd Couple. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. I think. But anyway, I, I, yeah. I was just... Beside yourself. Uh, beside myself. Yeah. And I remember that no one even show. No knows who she is. I know. But Boulafont is a great name. Boulafont. Is that it? Boulafont. Joey's Boulafont. Yeah. yeah. That's a great name. Um, you tour a lot. Does it... Do you get burned out going on the road or does it... Does it... How do you feel about the traveling and going and doing your shows and oh i i don't it's not that i get burned out it's that i i I have anxiety about it so the anxiety is what wears on me right yeah i i I tend to always think of everything that's going to go wrong right rather than trying to at the place and the hotel and the flights and the club the unknown yeah i i i grew up my childhood and the my parents at that time when I was young, there was a lot of things that were out of control. Yeah. So I, I had this need to sort of control my surroundings. Right. So the very nature of traveling. Right. Because you love your home and not, your things. You're and not you're, in control. Yeah. You have to surrender yeah. it. You you check into a hotel. Yeah. Your room's not ready. Yeah. Well, I have a show. <laughs> I need to get I need ready. a room. I have to yeah. fight yeah. off the low crotch. Exactly. Yeah. If the phone could ring tomorrow with a with a gig, a certain kind of gig, television, I don't know what. What would the what would the dream gig be? I would love um, to be a regular on a TV series at the Radford and you know Radford right here in Studio City. Right. So I just have to drive down the street. I love that you're you're thinking geographically. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I got it all laid out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful little studio, right yeah. down the street. Right. No traffic. Right. You know, someone's someone else is doing my hair and makeup. Yeah. And um, getting paid an awful lot of money to be there. And also, I, I miss working with other people. Yeah. You know, for so long I've been a solo performer. I think it would be wonderful to experience being a part of an ensemble again. And, right. And bringing my little magic to that character. Right. You know? Yeah. That's what I loved about Girls We Girls was that the two other actors I was working with, we really respect each other. Yeah. And it wasn't about trying to outdo each other. It was really about trying to make each other shine. When you were also different. And, yeah. You know, and it, everyone had their sort of yeah. niche that they were doing. I missed that. Yeah. I missed that. What's happening with Girls We Girls too? Richard's still working on it. Yeah. So you shot it and it'll be coming out. Yeah. But the good news is, is that, um, I think for a long time he, he was hating it. And recently he posted something that he, he actually feels like he has a movie. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, <laughs> should we, I want to talk about the poop sketch. Can we tell that story? Sure. Remember that crazy thing? Cause I forgot about it until the very end. We met from coffee. Yes. You, Jack Plotnick and myself. We had done... Quest for the Crown together, where we put you two together, and you were the commentators, and, right. and you were a big hit. So then later, I wasn't involved as much in that benefit, but I helped you guys. There was the the year that you guys did the next one, right? And there was a cop, there was an arrest, but there was this whole stuff that played out, and it was another big hit. So then it was our third crack at this. At this, you know what amazed thing. me about it was that 
you know, we weren't getting paid to do that. It was all volunteer. Right. Am I right? I yeah, it was for aid getting, parades. No, right. it was a volunteer thing. Okay, so for we, sure. we, it was all volunteer. Yeah. And there was a lot of work that went into it. And the other contestants, you know, they had people invest in their character a right. lot of money right. for the overtop costumes and for the, um, the, the, you know, props that included animals and cars and yeah. whatever else they, you know. People were it, coming on stage with camels. Yeah, it was and, supposed yeah. to be as outrageous as it could be. Right. Well, we didn't have that kind of money. Right. So, you know, what, what, did, I, I remember thinking, what could we do that's outrageous that requires absolutely no money? And the answer that's is. That's shocking and funny. <laughs> and I, well, I seem to remember thinking, Pooh. <laughs> Pooh is funny. And I think I there's two up, kinds of people that see, think Pooh is funny. I, and people that think it's funny and those that don't. I didn't parts. realize there were people in the world that don't find poop funny. <laughs> I'm I, one of the people that do find it funny. And when you were around, I grew up in a family. You yeah. thought it was funny. Right. There was My mom was the only person that didn't think that was appropriate conversation around the dinner table. <laughs> Everybody else seems to think it was very appropriate. And my mother would always say, why around the dinner table? We always talking about shit and piss. <laughs> and one of my mother's favorite expressions is, you know, when she'd get angry, she'd go, shit, piss, and corruption. <laughs> so Where does that come I from? I don't know. But anyway. Have you put that in anything yet? No. You got no. it. I think I like it. Maybe that's your next show title. Corruption. <laughs> that's a theme there. I could see yeah. you spinning a whole, you know. So we show wrote out that whole poop sketch together, right? And um, what what happens in the sketch is Evie and Coco are you know doing their commentary with the girls or whatever, and then there's a bit where you guys talk about having had the rap party for Girls Will Be Girls at Nell Carter's house, who is one of the judges. Yeah, and and, and, and Evie is always trying to um, embarrass me or to sabotage me yes. in front of an audience. Right. She's always so, trying to undermine you. She, exactly. So she pulls out... A, uh, I had gotten very drunk, apparently, at this at the party, and I passed it on Nell Carter's uh, bed and pissed in her bed. So Evie pulls out Evie, the sheet. And I said she had no proof of that. It's a lie. She goes... She, she says, well, hold on a second. She brings out the sheet. And meanwhile, Nell Carter's sitting Carter's right there. in the audience. <laughs> and then I said, well, that's okay. You you had to go to the bathroom and you couldn't hold it. You ended up shitting in Nell Carter's fish tank. And, and, and Evie says, no, I didn't. And besides, you have no proof. And I said, the hell I don't. And I snapped my finger and out wheeled this um, Michael wheels a fish tank with a <laughs> turd floating in it and I fish it out and she goes that's not that's not that's not poo it's chocolate. chocolate and I said well then eat it <laughs> and Evie <laughs> takes the poo and she starts chewing on it, it and gagging and she's going <laughs> yeah, and she was like you know it had sunk down to the bottom so the the, the rocks from the fish tank yeah. stuck in it so she's chewing on blue rocks and I also remember Evie pointing at going oh what a pretty brown fish yeah <laughs> So anyway, then she throws it at me and we start talking. She finally admits, okay, it's poo, it's poo, it's poo. And she throws it at me and we start, and then we, we're covered in chocolate. Throwing it back and forth. Rubbing it on our dresses for extra added effects. <laughs> and the audience is screaming. <laughs> now, some of them are screaming with laughter. <laughs> and then there was, what's her name who died? The blonde that was a model. Anna Nicole Smith. Anna Nicole Smith. Holy shit, reality. was she there? She was in the audience, and all I could hear was her going, ew, ew. <laughs> and I was so tempted to turn and go, Anna, have you seen your show? Like, don't be ewing me. But anyway, well, 
I and then at the end of the fight, you're fighting him, and you're like, and she goes, Coco, what are we doing? Yeah. And then you got sweet again, and you sing like this sweet little song covered in uh, whatever, wherever we yeah. go. And then you go and wherever I, I we go, and I went, do 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 do, and she said, what are you doing? Scatting, and it was just. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> but I think but brilliantly Dennis, in its conception. I, I think it it's funny brilliant. Too. I'm really I stand by it. I stand by it but too. I could not believe <laughs> not only were people like ups, like like kind of grossed out by it, they were upset and angry. And actually, um Jack and I were asked were told that um never to come back and we were it was really uh, sad because, like I said, we did it thinking it was funny. We didn't get paid. We were donating our time and our energy to that great cause. And um, they couldn't see past that, you know, the poo, really. Yeah. And it, wasn't there somebody that had passed away that founded it and they were like, if he had he's, seen that, he's, he's rolling, rolling in his grave. grave. Yeah. And I just thought, well, you know what? Then fine. Because <laughs> I did this because I thought it was funny and because I thought it would raise money and it was outrageous. I don't right. have the, I don't have the budget that these yes, other queens it was had. a funny idea. I wanted to be outrageous. Yeah. And if we watched it right now, I think it would still be hilarious. And let me tell you something that, you know, part, also part of, we had just filmed Girls Will Be Girls. Right. And I thought that that, w- without having seen it yet, but I knew the script was funny and it was outrageous. And yeah. Wrong. Right. And, and and people really responded to it. Yeah. And I think that that skit was written in that same sort of... Up the ante thing. Yeah, like, let's just be as outrageous as we can be. And well, and also, you had already done... This is your third year, so you had to take it up a notch. Yeah. Like, anyway, I yeah. stand by it. I think it was hilarious. Anyway. All right. You're delightful. Thank you for sharing everything. We're ending on the poop sketch. Uh, well, I think I might move the poop... <laughs> I could always move the poop sketch up and then end with the... With the dream gig. <laughs> What's another let's question take, let's, here? Uh, let's, uh, there's one wow. more. Um, we oh, saw these. What about, about these? Uh, this is a good one. Which one? Uh, this one. Uh, what rookie mistakes did you make on your first jobs? Uh, or job, you know. You know, as a drag queen, uh, I, I look back and I think, you know... What was those shoes? What was I thinking? Like certain things like that. And also like, I remember when I first did my makeup as Coco, I did not finish it off with powder. I was probably like so shiny, you know. (laughs) You didn't know about powder. I didn't know like about really powdering. Right. You know. Right, right, right. Uh, So many mistakes I made early on. And I think, you know, back and I was even joking with my tech guy, the first tech guy came. I said, do you remember we, we used to, um, my cues were all on cassettes. Yeah. Each cue was a separate cassette, and I would stick the pencil into the hole and, and get it right to where it would start. So when I press play, the cue would come right on. And, oh, my God. Yeah. You knew how to do that with a pencil? Yeah. So, like, there were a few times where I forgot to, you know, stick the pencil in and do it. Yeah. And, you know, you'd be waiting five seconds before the cue would come right. on and that awkward, you know, silence before the cue would come on. How do you do it now? Um, CDs. Yeah, CDs. Or, or they, or... they transfer it. Like, like bring iPod the CD or, and yeah. bring it, put it on yeah. an iPod. It's burning CDs. We didn't have CDs back then. Yeah. It's just insane. All the stuff you did. Yeah. But it started it and it paved the way. It sure did. Um, 
This has been great. Do you have it? This will probably go up in a few weeks, so like December. Do you have any shows on the on the books? Anything I'll you want to promote? I'll be in Puerto Vallarta the first two weeks of February. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I want to go there and see it. It's wonderful there. Yeah, I like it down there. Beautiful. So that's great. I love it. And people can find out more about you Yeah, at... and then all the rest of my gigs are on my website at cocoperu.com. And I encourage people to join my email list because uh, a lot of people think they'll find out about my shows on Facebook. Right. But, you know, there's so many people on there. And those evites or invites, nobody reads them anymore. Yeah. So if you really want to know about my show, the best thing is I send out an email every now and then. I don't abuse it uh, with all the dates of my shows coming Love up. it. Awesome. You're a delight and inspiration. I'm so glad I know you, and I'm so glad you are doing your thing. Thank you, And that I can come to your shows all the time. Thank you. All right. Bye. My thanks again to the delightful and inspiring Coco Peru. After the interview, Coco showed me around her beautiful home and showed me a few things from her career, and one of them was a compact that the late actor Patrick Swayze gave to all the drag queens that were working on Tu Wong Fu. And he wrote a nice little note in it, and uh, I took a picture of it. It's really beautiful. So I'm going to post that uh, on DennisAnyone.net. Just look for the different podcasts under the uh, month, and under the Coco podcast, you'll see the picture. Um, thanks again, Coco. Thank you all for listening. Visit DennisAnyone.net. Do all kinds of fun stuff there. And we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye.